As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Are we gonna? Should we? Uh, yeah, go for put it. Put the cans on. No, we don't need it. No, we don't use them. Just you? Do you do your show with, with cans? I don't on? know. I always use them. But well, go ahead. It makes no, you feel better. No, no, no. It's just weird talking to somebody with. Well, you think it's weird? No. Okay. <laughs> if you feel you need them, if it's a comfort. No, I'm good. Okay. Good. Well, then uh, you're listening to the movies that made me the official podcast of Trailers from Hell. Anyway, this is where the music goes. I'd like to do our guest in the form of a uh, uh, member to tell the truth where they would have three people come out and they would all tell the same story and you have to figure out which one was which. Um, if if uh, uh, our guest were to do that, I would want all three characters to stand up and open with this piece of writing that when I first read in, I think it was 1996, it's one of those things that I knew would stay with me forever. I'm going to read it. I am an ex-drug addict who has solicited prostitutes in my day. I've also masturbated and inhaled at the same time and I've been arrested more than once in my life. I dropped out of high school, and I've been under psychiatric care. Oh, and I owe the IRS roughly $6,000 that they are well aware of. Um, I'd like to introduce our very special guest. <laughs> what a horrible person. Mark Ebner, uh, investigative journalist par excellence. Mark um, is uh, a, a lifelong investigative journalist. That uh, introduction came from a piece I read in Spy Magazine in, was it 1996? 96. 96. Yep. Uh, one of the first big exposés of Scientology. Um, he wrote, uh, he actually broke the Cosby story in, I believe, 2009, long before uh, it was getting any coverage. Um, and I remember had to put it up on his website because no one would uh, buy the story. And then years later when it did hit, did the rounds of CNN and got to finally get some credit for that. Um, yeah, the decade jump on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has uh, done some amazing uh, other pieces, uh, seven books as an author or co-author, um, one lifetime movie adaptation, uh, and is also a host of another podcast, uh, The Gray Zone, which recently broke the um, Skip Chasey Hollywood death by mummification story, which uh, just was sort of a happy reminder that Hollywood will always be weird. <laughs> um, but anyway, Mark, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm glad to be here, and I want you to know that per our very brief show prep i actually showered your uh, joe <laughs> your your uh your partner here uh when i asked him you know if there's anything i need to know about the show he told me to take a shower that was his only <laughs> well he did want to know if we had cameras that was the well so i guess more and more of these podcasts are filmed which is <laughs> seems to defeat the purpose but yeah so mark is showered and then because i knew he was going to shower i took a shower and wow this is just the cleanest podcast we've had yet <laughs> Joe looks very clean. Don looks very clean. Um, but uh, we are a movie podcast. 
And Mark has uh, dipped his toes in Hollywood in the past, but we wanted, I thought it'd be fun to talk to you about uh, movies that dabbled in journalism. Um, so Mark has come in with a list of his 10 favorite movies about journalists and reporters. And Yeah, I, I think we can widen the berth a little oh, bit, okay. but with my 10, but uh, nonetheless, I did want to Did you break say- the rules, Mark? I did want to say that uh, movies that made me, movies that made me money, interestingly <laughs> enough, Joe, uh, was I don't probably, have many of those. No, it was probably Gremlins because uh, that's when I used to wait on you at La Dome when you, were, uh, when you had set up shop over at uh, Amblin, I believe it was. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you used what? to come in and you tipped really well when Gremlins hit. That's because and then uh, I finally had some money. <laughs> and the tipping sort of plateaued uh, around inner uh, inner space, yeah. which I enjoyed, by the way. But you know, you got—I don't know—did well, they kicked off the lot or something? No, I mean, no, they, they actually liked the movie, but they just couldn't sell it. <laughs> inner space, yeah. Was that not a... No, it was a disaster. Seriously? Yeah. People, don't, I... people don't remember these things, you know. As, what do you mean it wasn't? As time, a... as time goes by, you know, we tend to forget what the actual situations were with theatrical movies. Most yeah. theatrical movies were not successful. And most theatrical movies of many of the people who are currently feted for being boy, these masters of the art made movies that didn't make any money. They only hit on home video. Right. On home video, they all got found and they all got loved and uh, turned into cult movies. I, I feel I saw that. What year was that? That was nine or eighty seven. Eighty seven. I saw that in Hollywood in a packed theater. I just sort of just kind of assumed. No. no. Oh, Speaking no, of I'm which, sad. but anyway, that's why I, that's why my tipping dropped. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and here comes Mark and <laughs> depress us all. No, cult yeah. movies, I'm going to stump everyone present. Probably not. With number one. Well, is this actually number are you building up or are you uh no, I'm the, 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 no particular order. Okay. But however, um I will start with 1978, a film called Maraschino Cherry. Oh. Ring a bell? <laughs> uh, oh, unless it's a porn. <laughs> okay. It's a porn. Wow. Oh, oh we got a double winner. First, Joe got it. And second, we were just talking the other day, uh, this is this is our first porn on, uh, on the movies made. But we did a whole segment about Rosemary. Well, that's not porn. Well, it's close. It's close. <laughs> well, this was, his name was Radley Metz. Oh, Radley. Sure, yeah, Radley, uh, yes. Uh, sure. A.K.A. Henry Parry. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, it's interesting because um, with Maraschino Cherry, which was a, uh, it, 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 1978, we're looking at the golden year of pornography in America, where you had to wait like a half an hour for the first money shot. <laughs> You know, because there was a story, there was a plot going sure. on. Uh, he uh, went by the name director Henry Paris or Perry, and as a writer, because he also wrote the script, uh, he went by Jake Barnes. Anyway, oh no, that I didn't know. Did you know that? Yeah, Radley was a stylist. Um, yeah. I I can I have a so my very first movie that uh, ever got made is a, a terrible, 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 terrible film called On the Border. Um, based on a script, I can say in retrospect was better than the finished film. And, but I was, I was young and, 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 and pompous and stupid. And I, for no particular reason, named the main character, Jake Barnes. Oh. Um, just, just, I liked the name There's in my Jake, head. Yeah. And, you probably um, felt the same way, but, and we, we ended up with, uh, Casper Van Dien in the lead who, uh, said years later that he had 
only taken the part because he was a huge, huge fan of the sun also rises and, and somehow thought there was some connection. <laughs> I, I should have told him I was, no, it's, it's the guy who writes Radley Metzger's movies. I, I don't, you know, I should have put a disclaimer at the top. I am not a film geek, as you know. That's the and, point of having you. And yes. uh, I'm not a cineast and, uh, and I've been effectively banned from your movie nights uh, as a result. <laughs> That's, it's not even remotely true. These are um, his, these are uh, his personal movie nights. Yeah, well, <laughs> obviously, well, the obviously, last... Mark is not invited anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Maricio Jerry, yes. I want to say how it made me. What it but made yeah, that's me? That's the question. Yes, was um, I was going to Bard College in New York. I was a freshman, and what I learned from Maricio Cherry was <laughs> how you can use. Or weaponize a film to make a political statement. Now, what happened at Bard, and I'll make the story short, but the People's Department of Film, as it was known up there in the uh, uh, Little Red Whorehouse on the Hudson Bard College, um, at uh, there was a uh, contingent from WAP, or the Women Against Pornography, mm. and they were up at our college campus. Uh, they were... Uh, protesting uh, uh, porn. So, of course, the People's Department of Film decided to screen Maraschino Cherry, and I'll never forget that. I remember everyone just going crazy in this little hall where the film department screened these movies, and I I don't remember much about the movie. There was a madam and her escorts, sort of a Charlie's Angels motif going on. I don't remember much about it, but I do remember it was very effective in terms of getting the women against pornography to sit down. That's it. Number one, Joe. Have you actually have you seen the film? I'm, I'm I know I, that, of Radley Metzger. That one, that one has escaped my notice, but I did see a lot of Radley Metzger movies, and uh, he was, uh, you know, some people find them pretentious. Uh, because they don't get to the action right, right away. But actually, I think he he's there's a lot of interesting stuff in his movies, and they're usually very well photographed. I don't think I've ever seen one all the way through. I've seen the Licorice Quartet, and people talk about him all the time, and he's sort of on that list of. I mean, he's way down on the, the list. Opening of, of Misty Beethoven. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Misty Beethoven. Now you're going back. We could. We could. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I am curious, yellow no, and he, blue. He, he didn't make that one. No, I'm saying these. Are, that's the era, though, for well, sure. Well, the, 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 well, the, the, the breakthrough. Oh, that, that might have been sixties. Like, no, like yeah, 70s. it was sixties. The breakthrough. Wow. The breakthrough was Deep Throat because it was the one. That, <coughs> a, it had comedy in it. Oh, some people seem to think it was comedy, uh, and and uh, and it, it's a knee slipper. It, it, the 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 X rating since now it was not copyrighted, and anybody could use it. Uh, it became the catch-all of double X, triple X, quadruple X. And all of a sudden, these theaters were playing that were formerly going out of business were now staying awake by playing uh, porno pictures. And they were very cheap to make. Uh, and they were very, very successful because recently the rating system had come in and the Supreme Court had said that it was okay to have pornography. you gotta, you got to remember the way, the way pornography snuck in is through a movie called Man and Wife. Mm-hmm. Which was a sex education film. Was that uh, was that Kroger or Bab? <laughs> no, this oh. was just uh, the Matt Simber, I think, did mm-hmm. this, and and th- this was mm-hmm. a, a really low budget, I mean, no budget movie <laughs> with people screwing and a guy talking, on a, 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 an announcer talking and explaining how the sex acts were were being achieved, and you could hear the paper rustling. You know, there's no music; it's just people screwing on a bed. Screw. But 
what was fascinating, I, my favorite theater in Philadelphia was the Palace Theater on, on Market Street. We used to play all the exploitation pictures. But this picture played, and it, it was the end of me because they, they, the picture played for a year and a half. And the reason why was that they weren't just getting the raincoat brigade. They were getting husbands and wives and couples who had no place to go to get information about sex. And they actually went to this movie and they were like taking notes about how to, and this is a good position for the obese wife, you know, that kind of stuff. See, I didn't have that problem. My dad was OBGYN, so I had, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, to, I, I knew the female anatomy inside and out from a very early age thumbing through the uh, Journal of Obstetrics well, and Gynecology. I'm, I'm not, I've heard of the film for some reason. It's, it's not on IMDb, but there's a TV series well, it's, from 2008. It's not really a movie. It was followed by He and She, and it was followed by a black version, and it was always the same thing, people on revolving beds. With no oh, were these graphic? Do you guys were they? Yes, they were, they were, you could see the penetration. That was the whole idea. That was the big deal thing, and right. the money shots and all that stuff. When oh, I, when wow. I was like the first time. Do you guys remember the, uh, before the X, I think it was, the M rating for me? Sure. Oh, yes. Well, that yeah. was great because at 12, I would walk down to my local grindhouse, the Strand Theater in Providence, Rhode Island, and I'd light up a cigarette. I'm mature. <laughs> I'm getting in here. Sure. And just strut up to the box office and I could go see uh, Slaves in Cages and Blow Below the Belt, double feature. I actually remember <laughs> my two very first porn films at 12 years old and Joe... It was the raincoat crowd. Ah, well, I used sure. to, I took a bus. Uh, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia in the city. And I took a, a public transportation to school to uh, um, 17th and Market. I would get off. Uh, no, 15th and Market. Um, 17th. It's been a long time. What town are we talking anyway, about? Philadelphia. Oh. And the 31 bus would drop me off in front of, you probably know the names of them. There were two adult movie theaters. Well, right one, of them, one of them was the studio. <laughs> Okay. The studio, and that was, uh, and, and then right down, there was the art. They were always and then if you went down a little further, there theater. was the Milgram and the Fox. Well, there was the legitimate real theaters. theaters. Yeah, yeah. And but then I there would was some get off the bus on the way to school every day, and there would be porno movies in my face with those black and white photos of the bars over people's eyes. And they, But they had an amazingly graphic uh, front of theater. Yeah, like, oh, you know, oh absolutely. Big, big posters and big blow-ups. And, stuff. Yeah. and one, of the, one of the pictures was <laughs> called... My baby is black, and I remember this woman walking Exclamation by. Exclamation point! And I remember this woman walking by and saying, "So is mine, honey. Don't worry about it." <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been listening to the pornos that made me. Our guest this week. Um, well, let's let's let's, let's class <laughs> no, up the class joint. Up. Oh sure. Oh yeah. Well, I, let's class up the joint with number two. <laughs> That's why two. we brought Ebner in to class up the joint. Okay. So ratings. We have X, triple X. We have M, and now we have NC seventeen for my number two movie that made me, and that would be Man Bites Dog, nineteen ninety two. Oh, Joe loves that one. Made on a $30,000 budget, I might add. It's, Two film school it's students. It's probably, maybe the most disturbing movie I ever saw. Excellent. Really? Yeah. Yes. Is it? Is it uh, Have you seen it, Joe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, Irreversible? Remy yeah. Belvo? No, no, no. It's, 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 it's actually a very well-made movie, but um, it's, it, it, it's this guy, and he's a killer, and these, these, these kids decide they're going to film him and make a movie about him, and they follow him all around, and this is what they film. And then it, one of the great scenes, they run into another group of kids. Filming another, yeah. filming oh, yeah. another crazy guy. Uh, but the, 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 um, the death scenes and the corpse scenes and, and the, what they do to the corpses 
uh, thank God it's in black and white is all I can say. Yes. Right. And, you know, it, it was just, it, it, it was shocking. Absolutely. It, and I think, shocking. And I think that's why it's a movie that made me. It helped inure me to but a lot you, of things. But, that, I, I, I should have I I realized, having seen that picture, that I was in for trouble when I went into Warner Brothers for my first meeting on Looney Tunes Back in Action. And the executive that I was meeting with had a giant wall-sized three-sheet poster for Man Bites Dog, which is a picture of a guy with a gun pointing down at the bottom of the poster and on the on the on the bottom of the poster comes up some blood and a baby rattle <laughs> i just remember thinking boy you know this guy may not be the guy to be making a looney tunes movie <laughs> well uh, i have two questions in 1992 would it be safe to say that man bites dog uh pretty much kicked off the mockumentary uh or are we uh. I, I don't know how much I don't know how much penetration that picture got. I yeah. it, it, I don't know how many places others, played yeah. it because it was so graphic. Well, it's a Belgian film, which is interesting. Remy uh, Belvo. Mm -hmm. Now, um, and it makes me think the it, it, in Belgium, do all the good films come from the French side? Are there any Flemish films we can discuss while we're sitting here? Because I can't think of I had one. A, I had a very good friend who was a Belgian. He would be very upset and, and humiliated if you if you talk, spoke to him as if he was French. <laughs> oh, no, that's the great... I remember uh, uh, Peter Ustinov as uh, Hercule Poirot in uh, is it Death on the Nile. It's a running gag that somebody... Keeps calling him a French upstart, and he goes okay. Belgian yeah. upstart. Oh, I'm matter. sorry. You're very sensitive about French speaking side. Uh, okay, Belgian <laughs> upstart. All right, uh, but that's a good. But yeah, that was and that was was it NC17? Because yeah, NC17 had started two years earlier. Rated. Oh yeah, no, they released it, was... it in two versions, and I lean on the if you're going to go for shock, yeah, value, go for the real one. Go and for the real What that one. did is that just inured you to the horrors of the world. It so did. You could... It did, and, and that segues right into one of my favorite all-time films, which would be. Uh, Dan Gilroy's Nightfall. I'm looking for a job. In fact, I've made up my mind to find a career that I can learn and grow into. Who am I? I'm a hard worker. I set high goals, and I've been told that I'm persistent. And I'm thinking the television news might just be something I love, as well as something I happen to be good at. There's nothing in that film for me not to love. Uh, it's one of the few films I can't speak at length about it, cinema-wise, but I can tell you script, acting, uh, cinematography, music, everything played to me in that film. How about you guys? No, that's, that's a terrific But you, I mean, I'm interested in your perspective because that's a world you well, know. Well, you know, some... interestingly, you know, uh, you know, I did some time in the tabloids. I worked for uh, David Pecker over at AMI mm. while he was covering up for that rapist Bill Cosby, uh, he's, he's in still, the news. He's still covering up. For yeah, people. he's still covering up for people. <laughs> he's in the news now. He's probably about to get subpoenaed. Um, but when I, you know, there, there, there's a parallel there with this movie uh, in terms of you know the tabloid beat. When I wrote for the tabloids, if they'd asked me to do a celebrity story, I would you know try and pass it off to someone else. I like parachuting into the Midwest with a pocket full of cash that I could buy up stories with, like the CIA, you know? It's like I was investigating the BTK serial killer. And, you know, I wrote three, sto three stories on the BTK killer, and then my editor came back to me and said, okay, he's gay. Make him gay. 
<laughs> so I'm uh, so I'm thinking. Uh, well, wait a minute. This oh, make him gay, Ebner. So what did I do? Well, I did called they have up, information? He was from or? Wichita. So I called up the only gay bar in Wichita. This is how tabloid reporting works. One oh one. Called up the only gay bar in Wichita, and I said, "Hey, Mark Ebner, American Media." By the way, I didn't would never say National Enquirer because American media at the time sound like a real news group. So you get your foot in the door. You know what I'm saying? And I said to the guy, um, so uh, whatever the BTK's guy's name was, I forget. But I, I said, is it possible that he ever came in there? Well, sure, Mark. I guess it's possible. Good. Got to go. Source number one. <laughs> then I found out someone he knew was a lesbian and she was a um she was a uh, uh a, a, an instructor that he was friendly with at a local college okay proximity to lesbians numbered source number 2 and number 3 i found some profiler in georgia who did this whole thing about how he was abused by his father therefore he must be gay one, two, three, three sources, BTK, gay serial killer, done. Wow. That's the tabloids. That's how it works. But with Nightcrawler, that more than inspired me in my journalism, it inspired me to become a licensed private detective. Um, only because the shit that that character, Jake Gyllenhaal, was doing, moving bodies, you know, in that, in that particular film, the stuff that he was doing is more like what a PI might do because you can kind of push the edges a little bit. I'm not walking into a job as a PI, uh, you know, with an ethical handbook. I'm just trying to get the job done and satisfy a client. So there's, you know, you can do a little something extra. Nightcrawler. Yeah, that's a great film. Um, it, it, it killed a project of mine. Uh, I was working on a, uh, I think, I, think was this, I was, I was working on a script with Mick Jagger that was based, uh, kind of inspired by his loathing of Rupert Murdoch and wanting to, uh, deal with the world of tabloid journalism. Mm. And there were, there were enough similarities and, uh, and so that it just, well, you should of, dust it off. Eh, maybe, maybe, uh, what else you got? For oh, us? I got talk radio. This country is in deep trouble, people. This country is rotten to the core, and somebody better do something about it. I want you to take your hand out of that bowl of Fritos, throw away your National Enquirer, and pick up the phone. Go ahead, pick it up, hold it up to your face, and dial 555-T-A-L-K. Open your mouth and tell me what we're going to do about the mess this country's in. Talk radio. It's the last neighborhood in town. People just don't talk to each other anymore. Let's go to the first caller. Uh, one and only Ollie Stone picture on my list. Uh, I actually, I'm surprised. Eh, he's a <laughs> fucking nut, that guy. You know, I, I, uh, I, he lost me when he went to Cuba and put his arm around Fidel Castro. That was it, you know. Uh, but talk radio, he, he really knew what he was doing. I mean, if you think of the camera work, it was only one panoramic sort of helped me with the shot, but it was... Uh, Eric Bogosian and he's playing he's, Alan he's, Berg. It's the performance of his life. Right. Yeah. Didn't he win a Tony for that on Broadway think, yeah, as well? Yeah, it was well? a play that he had written yeah. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, based on what was it? Uh, I think I made a note here. It, it was called uh, Talk to Death, The Life and Death of Alan Berg, a real, a real person. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, that one, that one just, it, I guess it inspired my tattoo on my arm. What does that say? Suicide by media can take a lifetime. There we go. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I figure, you know, I write about crime. Quite, I'm really good at it. Quite often as a consequence of what I write, someone winds up in jail. And then, for one reason or another, they get out eventually. I mean, I'm old, I'm feeling old, man, but I know a guy in Rhode Island who actually served out a life sentence for capital murder, and he's out. I mean, they still own him. He's on lifetime probation. But sooner or later, someone I write about, uh, you know, who goes to jail gets out, and they want to kill me. So my <laughs> thought is, please... I beg of you, double tap, back at back of the head. Please don't let me see it coming. Don't let the world know that I'm a piss pants pussy when it comes to, you know, someone coming at me looking to take me out. I don't want to see it coming. Now, what does that have to do with talk radio? Well, <laughs> um, it, well, that's how it ends. It, well, yeah, you know, that's how it ends. And was it he also, shot back the head? I don't know. Uh, he, no, he was he was blasted in the parking lot. Yeah, which, right. by the way, because because I only came with like seven or eight, I didn't finish my assignment. Oh, we doggy can homework. No, we can tuck in. We can tuck in a film. Sure, yeah. Uh, speaking of shot in the parking lot, and that would be whatever happened to Sydney. PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, oh, hard eight. Hard eight. If I were to give you $50, what would you do with it? I'd eat. How long can you eat? How long can you live on $50? I don't know. I would bet not very long. Okay, what happened there? Well, Philip Baker Hall, if you talk to him, or you talk to any of the stars and they got honest about it, the cut that everyone got to see, Hard Eight, was the cut that Reicher Entertainment got their scissors all over and changed the ending because it was too much of a bummer. Spoiler alert, because you'll never see Sydney. In the end of that film, uh, who, who was I said? Philip Baker Hall's character, kind of a mentor to John C. Riley yeah. in that world, gets blown away right in the chest, double-barrel shotgun, and blows him away in a parking lot, stark Las Vegas parking lot. And that's how the movie ends. PTA, as I remember, was pissed off at Reicher for, you know, it was his you first think? film. for cut. Well, <laughs> Changing the ending? Yeah, but, you know, and, and so, of course, certain members of the cast slipped me the VHS copy of the original Sydney. And then when I saw Hard Eight, I couldn't believe it. But if you talk to PTA today, he'll tell you that's exactly the cut I wanted. And to that, I say bullshit. All right. You've added that. Maybe someday there'll be a criterion. <clears throat> Shall we move on? Yeah. Well, I, did we uh, <coughs> uh, did, did we did we drain talk radio? Of all well, no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's um, is that you, you were late to it? Okay, it it really set me up for failure in movies that made me. It, I actually I I uh, hosted a syndicated radio show 
in the year 2000 called the the Mark Ebner Show, and I was on five. I was catchy title. It was really uh, uh, second tier. He wasn't the first host. Second tier markets. I wouldn't get New York City. I'd get Syracuse, Albany. I wouldn't get Atlanta. I had uh, Savannah. I had Atlantic City. So I had all these second markets. And uh, I was really inspired by uh, talk radio. And my show was nothing like that. I tried. I tried, and it just didn't work, and my programming director was like, you got to switch it up, and next thing you know, I'm doing a bad Howard Stern knockoff, hot topic, you know, BS, and uh, it was a fun year. It was a learning year in that I can only say that talk radio is really, really hard as we sit here doing the same. And what happens to all those things? Do they have transcriptions? Do they have uh, discs? Do yeah, they have the tapes? recordings? The shows? Yeah. Well, for, I do have them on, uh, uh, on uh, wh- that? what's that disc? Not that? Uh, the, the disc. Um, CD? CDs. Oh, I, I thought you were CDs talking about all my shows. Yeah. And they're sitting in my garage. Well, there yeah. you go. One day. Start another podcast. One day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. You uh, talk radio. I just, uh, I loved it. It's my favorite Oliver Stone movie. Um, and I don't, I'm taking a big jump here for number five or six, and that would be, uh, Lost in Translation 2003. Okay. Crickets. I don't know. Wow. I, 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 I like, I like Lost in Translation. I, 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 in fact, played the, the deleted scenes and there was a, a, a robot scene that I thought was actually very germane to the movie that they shouldn't have cut. But, Does it get shot? Uh, but most people, um, don't like that movie. Lost in translation. Well, most people haven't gone through male menopause like you and I have. (laughs) Josh, you laugh. You're right behind us, pal. Uh, Uh, No, I think, but first let me say the the crickets were, I think everything else has had this kind of hard edge to it that, you know, I mean, uh, Radley Metzger films. Oh, come on. At the end of the day. And now we're in lost in translation. At the end of the day, I'm a a romantic, you know, and I, obviously, and, and, uh, (laughs) I get my only. I like the film. My my one big problem. It kept driving me nuts, and it's not the fault of the film. It's about this guy. But I'm thinking, you're sitting in what is he in Tokyo? Yeah, you're sitting in this fucking hotel in Tokyo, surrounded by this amazing culture with all, and he and he can't come up with something to do, well, and he hasn't brought a book. Yeah, Just, but I, 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 I what an asshole. But she, <laughs> as in the director, uh, 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 Sofia Coppola, uh, she takes him on the. T- oh no, Scarlett Johansson. I'm sorry. So she takes him on the town. Yeah. And it's like Disneyland for him in a very subdued way. And that's what I loved about it. It it, it conjures up a lot of feelings for me. It doesn't, you know, we talked about, uh, uh, you know, we talked about Man Bites Dog. I was going to mention Sam Fuller's Shock Corridor. And Joe hates that one. uh, You know, and. You you I just made a friend for I life. I mention on that every podcast. You know, I don't want. I'm going to sound sappy here, but it could have been any city, not just right. Tokyo. It could have been New York, sure. where you walk down the street and you can fall in love on any. I'm going to start crying here. You know, you can just. Well, that's just, true, but but can you imagine that picture working with anybody other than Bill Murray? I think you could you could recast her, yeah. and you could recast the whole rest of the cast, and you that, could take it to a different city if you wanted. But if you didn't have Bill Murray, he's the movie. Sure. What about George Clooney? It wouldn't work. Am I crazy? No, it wouldn't work. I love George Clooney, but it wouldn't work. I mean, there's something about uh, there's something about Bill Murray. He's he he's 
in his in his whole career through the singing Star Wars stuff on on Saturday Night Live and all the other stuff that he's done, he's always managed to project a sense of mystery. There's always things about this guy that we don't. It seems to be there's something else that I'm not getting. Mm-hmm. There's something else going on here. And he's and in his personal life, the things that he does and the places he shows up and the odd events that he it does. Uh, he there's just something about him that I think people find um, attractively mysterious. And I think that that character um, would be played by anybody else would be mopey mm-hmm. and unsympathetic. Uh, and sort of a loser, but the way he plays it, there's it looks like there's always something else going on that's just below, below the surface. Yeah, and you and it allows you to make him a canvas that you can read yourself into. Right, uh, and in the context of that movie, I mean, yeah, it was never spelled out what what his relationship was, or even what they say at the end of right, the movie, exactly, you know? or what they say. But for some reason, it resonates to me in that. You know, Josh, I, I was able to ma- marry a woman 30 years my junior and love her. No, man, and <laughs> I love her more every single day. You know, I know how blessed I am in that regard. So, um, I, you know, but I was mentioning Clooney because to, you know, kind of couch in an extra uh, sort of movie that made me would be up in the air, which mm-hmm. I consider to be a, uh, a, a midlife crisis movie. You know, for George Clooney, and I thought he played that really well too. And those are the kind of movies that, even before I had my crisis, you know, I can say, you know, uh, at least they, uh, in terms of how those movies made me, was they prepared me for <laughs> what was <laughs> to <laughs> come. <laughs> yeah, this and is it's the not first guy who's been on our show who's actually taken the title seriously. I know, I know. It's. Uh, well, it's also- <laughs> Second guy's been on the show since we came up with the title, so <laughs> that's kind of true. Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I I liked Lost in Translation. I've I have a weird, I mean, it's only weird because if you know me, kind of films I like, it doesn't seem like I would be a fan. But I I actually really like Sofia Coppola's mm-hmm. films, and and that's the only one I like. You didn't like Virgin Suicides, no? Like, no? like um, I I have the, the one that I I don't know if you can love it. I don't know if it wants to be loved, but the one that really. I thought captured something real that no one has ever bothered to try to capture. And maybe they shouldn't have, because in some sense, who cares was, um, meanwhile, um, or me, what the, the one with Steven Dorf wandering around the, um, uh, the hotel board with his kid. Yeah. In his underwear. In his underwear. Yeah. Really? That's it. Yeah, that, like on a, that's like, I, wait a minute. I don't know what movie oh, you're talking that's about. That's the title. <laughs> that's a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's, it's, he's a, he's a movie star. He's on a press junket. He's at the, um, uh, the, the hotel. The, no, the Chateau. Um, and he's just sort of roaming around the Chateau and he's just kind of bored and alienated. And that's the movie for about 90 minutes. Uh, and it really captures that. <laughs> What, that whatever. Antonioni ennui. Yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. what? I, I had a lot of that when it was new. Yeah. And I don't yay. really need any more of it. Um, uh, it's true. Joe saw all these movies in World War II when he was uh, <laughs> when he was stationed in Italy. Um, Watch out, Giuseppe. Watch out, Giuseppe. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, no, no. I, I, no, I, okay. that, I didn't it's see okay that okay. You could be sentimental. What's your yeah. name? Okay. Absolutely. Well, what do you, what do you got? Um, this what is you? a little less sentimental. This uh, I'm going to give you the original title en français uh, to see if we can uh, stump the panel. Can't. And that would be Les Valseuses. 
Oh, the... Uh, 1974. You want the director? Yeah. Blair. Bertrand. Oh, go, uh, going places. Yeah. yeah. What right. is it? Going places. Oh, okay. Somewhere, by the way, was the movie, not Meanwhile. I apologize. Oh, we're way past That's that. A, yeah, no, I just had yeah, to correct It's a better it. title. Yes, somewhere <laughs> better than me. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Going Places. Going Places. Oh, uh, with... Um, Depardieu. And somebody Patrick else. Patrick Zuware. Patrick Zuware. Okay, the late go. Patrick Zuware. Mew Mew. Mew Mew. Yes. Uh, and, uh, okay, Going Places. I think Roger Ebert called it a study in misogyny, and he wouldn't be wrong. Uh, oh, he you, should know from misogyny. He wrote back the Island of Dolls. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, so whether he said that or not, um, it was interesting. I, it was like 1974, and I probably saw that movie for the first time of many in 1974. And um, yeah, it, in it, you know, if I sort of look over my shoulder at it, yeah, that was pretty misogynistic. The way these guys you know, treated the women that came in and out of their very brief crime spree sort of travelogue throughout the south of France. Um, is that the way you describe the film in like a sentence or two for... Well, that, that, that's it. That's you it. Just yeah, right. it. <laughs> Personal, the, the, I, I suppose it helped, I don't know if assuage is the right word, but my own misogyny. I'm going to share a little something personal here. Don't start laughing yet. Um, but my mom died when I was two and a half years old. That, that doesn't usually get a laugh. That kind of laugh. No. And uh, it's like, it's come on, it's like pedo jokes. You know, you, you don't want to go there, but it's personal. And my mom died when I was two and a half. My father, he was a physician. He had two toddlers on his hands. And what he did was he handed us off to caretakers, uh, women in and out of our lives, governesses, nannies, that sort of thing. Um and so as soon as I began to, you know, first of all, I'm, it's Shakespearean. I'm sl snatched from my mother's tit, first of all. And then I'm thrown in with these other women in and out of my life. And then I grow up to read Freud. And, you know, Freud declared me, you know, a monster, <laughs> a misogynist, a woman hater, you know, unable, uh, unable to, you know, uh, form a relationship with anyone, incapable of love. And I thought I was fighting it by hate-fucking my way through every, you know, woman or girl that, that you know, uh, that, that I came across in my early life. And you know what? Freud was right. You know, it was, it, I had a tough go of it. Uh, don't feel bad for me. Feel bad for the women that I just debased, debased and I, you know, and hated as a result of, you know, what had gone on with me. But, um, so there's a point of identification with the misogyny inherent in Bertrand Blier's uh, uh, going places. Now, the good news is, is that um, through talk therapy and uh, by chance falling in love with a screenwriter, this is, you know, uh, Going back, I fell in love with a woman named Kate Lanier, and she had written uh, uh, What's Love Got to Do With It? Oh. Uh, the Tina Turner, and, you know, <laughs> she left me asking the same question, you know, when the movie came out. But at the same time, you know, once you fall in love, once you have that magic, <clears throat> all of a sudden, all that misogyny goes out the door. Yeah, you can resurrect it on a dime. 
you can use it, but you don't have to be it. And so I think that that in a weird, sick, like self-revelatory explanation is what going places, levalsas, which means the waltzers or testicles uh, in French, uh, meant to me or how it made me not be the person that so I did, now did you recognize some hate. of that at the time or is this more no i just i id'd yeah, with it. i was like yeah fuck it. that bitch yeah go yeah drop her off on the curb you know it was like it, no it was it was more of a rallying cry i'm right. afraid to say but if i watch it today i can see you know that i've changed and gerard depardieu has not well he's gotten movie, larger movies change the same movie that you saw at a certain age, you can see the same movie and you're, you're different. And it's as if the movie's changed, although it hasn't, you've yeah. changed. Yeah. We, I still remember one of the, uh, going to see a wild bunch at the Cinerama Dome. The first time I ever saw it there when they brought it back one time, it was with a large group of friends. I knew one person there and there's this big group of, uh, of course, all, all guys. And we all went off. Um, this had to be early nineties. And uh, there was one guy the whole night who never met him before. I haven't seen him since. Never, never said a word to anybody the whole time. Kind of sat there and glowering. We went to the movie. I ended up sitting next to him during the film. And his only reaction during the entire film is at the end when the prostitute shoots um, um, William, Holden. Uh, William Holden. And he turns around and he goes, bitch. And he shoots her. And this guy goes, Yeah. That's the one moment in the film that elicited a reaction from him. And I thought, that's <laughs> fucking terrifying. <Wow. laughs> like it was near the end of the film. Yeah. <laughs> Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Anyway, so, from yeah. misogyny to... To... Yes. Alan Rudolph. Now you know we've both been through a lot today. That's why we need to just sit back and enjoy this evening. So if you'll choose me, then you're my choice tonight. You're my choice tonight. You really got me. Oh, oh. Now why not? Why, oh, why, uh, not, why that one and not Welcome to L.A.? Well, it, both, but uh, Welcome uh, to L.A. did not... Or, or Barn of the Naked Dead. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I, I would have to say, why, why choose me over Welcome to L.A.? I would have to say, um, 
that to me it was uh, welcome to LA to me was great, but it was all mood. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, choose me was a was like a a, a cheesy romantic sort of. I think Pauline Kael called it a a rondelle of just uh, you know. Uh, I, I I I can practice practically recite every line from that movie when it's playing. I wore out, once again, my VHS copy yeah. of Choose Me because uh, to me, and, and there was one investigative moment that I loved, it was when uh, Keith Carradine's character, who would come in who would come in, and every woman he met, whether it was Jean-Bierre Bujold or, or uh, uh, who's that, uh, that wacky act, actor, Leslie Ann Warren. Everybody's got a Leslie Ann Warren set story, I'm sure. But between her, I mean, he's banging her, Leslie Ann Warren, he's banging Jean-Pierre Bougeau. We think he got to bang Ray Don Chong if Patrick Dashow's character didn't have anything to say about it. I mean, but but he's he's giving so much of himself to each one of these women and when you hear him talking it's sort of like he's feeding them all a line but so you talk the box yes now the okay, Bu- I- the Bujold character well let me okay. kick it off and you you know just- add to it but when she goes through his shit now Jean-Pierre Bujold played Nancy Love a uh, a radio talk show host a love for the love lord another another talk radio <clears throat> yeah exactly and uh I sense a pattern and and she it was her in this scene correct me if i'm wrong that goes through his like gunny sack but the whole thing and, is through the entire film right. he's been telling people these insane i'm a poet i was uh, when i was behind enemy lines mechanic. in a pow camp i was i i, I just got out of a mental you, hospital when i walked on the moon yeah, yeah all this stuff and and it, it it unfolds throughout the movie piece by piece of discovery you know women going through his personal shit to figure out that the guy is not lying but that yeah, was, she opens the box, and it's like every yes, single one of these crazy stories out. is true. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I, that, that seems amazing. And I, I would, amazing. to answer Joe's question, I, I think Welcome to L.A. still, it, it feels, he's still shaking off Altman, I think, in that one. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's a lovely film, but it has that kind of, uh, and Choose Me kind of really feels like its own thing. It's sort of an introduction of a uh, kind of filmmaker's aesthetic. That's not, it, can uh, I bring Don into this conversation mind. for a second? I know you're not on the mic, Don, but there was a uh, the the soundtrack to that. Teddy Pendergrass. No, no. Uh, to the, uh, to Welcome to L.A. Oh. There was a guy who sang a song that he was so atonal and yet so beautiful. Do you do you remember Welcome to L.A. Don? He does not. He so, does not. So we'll move along. But, yeah. um, but I was but hoping yeah, well, um, you would and look up the music on Welcome to L.A. Because the guy who sang that song was so beautifully off key. It was just wonderful. I think I've seen it once. Yeah. But I, I love, love, love. Richard Baskin. Me. Yes. And, Baskin. Oh, there you go. Richard Baskin. And if he's still around, I'd love to shake his hand. I love that song. And then the way you said, are you a Trouble in Mind fan? Or? Uh. Well, I, I like Trouble in Mind. I, I I think it's an interesting movie. I, I don't know that it's better than the other two. It's yeah, that's it. I love it though. It's so uh, divine playing a man. 
is is Divine was always playing a man. You you yeah. never get to see it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh and uh She uh, was. He was. She was. He was. Let's okay. get let's get gender specific let's here. Not because we want <laughs> Because no, because Jackie Beat would have your ass if you called him or her. You know, for the same reason that Divine probably would have. But Divine usually played women. Right. I'm saying, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's saying, but I like, I, I like, and uh, and Chris Christopherson's beard in that movie is amazing. He had these perfect white stripes coming down either side that was just phenomenal. But yeah, choose me is choose um, me. Uh, Teddy Pendergrass. We were talking song. about that. Choose where me, uh, this uh, John Larroquette talk about being That's able to play right. a Casper Milk Toast like no other. Give it up for John Larroquette who yeah. used to. He, uh, you know, John, he used to be a disc jockey down in like New Orleans, Louisiana. And, uh, I remember him telling a story about that time back to the radio and all that. And he would be like, coming up next, Shostakovich, you know, and that's, and I can't think of him that way. But when you hear him tell the story, you're like, of course you were a classical music DJ. Um, so, so I'm what glad is it about so much choose me love? So yeah, no, absolutely. But if if we are actually digging deep in these uh, yeah, movies, okay. made you what? Did, what, what, did what made me, me? What made me? I guess mm. it's simply this, or not so simply that. You know, let's face it. I, I, you know, you went through my little resume at the top. You know, and I, clearly I can't hold down a job. <laughs> so you know, it's sort of like I I spend a lot of time dining out, telling stories <laughs> like this. You know, and, you know, quite often, you know, you get good at storytelling. It doesn't mean you're not telling the truth, but I am. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's up to other people maybe to do their homework and figure it out. So I think that's the little nugget in there for Choose Me. Sure. Yeah. Alan Rudolph. Uh so you think he was like coming off a, uh, a, a a hangover from his mentor? Well, no, I think I just think the last film he's still because what that was was that his? Are we killing this with? Okay, um, I mean I do have IMDb my phone I can check, but that that was his first film as a director, kind of in a, obviously Barn of the Naked Dead, notwithstanding. Um, wasn't that his first? Was real his first Alan, yeah, and it was, it was also you know I think produced Altman, by Altman. Yeah, Altman uh, made it possible for him to yeah. that film. And it just, it, it felt like he was, and he'd spent a lot of, what was his, he had worked on numerous Altman films as, what was his protege? I don't know. What's, I don't know. What's that job on a set? Protégé? Assistant director. <laughs> he was an AD? I was think he? so. I don't know about that. Um, uh, for Altman, I think he AD'd a couple of films for Altman. No? Uh, we can he worked with him, but I don't remember. Yeah. yeah, he did work with him several times and obviously was. Uh, um, Could have worked in the art. Very effective. now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because and I remember even when it came out that um, the reviews compared it very much to to uh, an Altman film, um, and and he really seemed to shake free of that with with Choose Me and then everything that came after. Um, let's see here, we're we're cheating. Uh, music department, good lord, second unit. Yeah, he was an assistant director. You are correct yeah. on Nashville, California Split. Long goodbye, go. good lord. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he spent a lot of time working in close proximity to the. And master. he had the good sense to uh, cast David Carradine. Uh, Keith, uh, Keith Carradine. Keith Carradine. Right. Yes, uh, David Carradine. Uh, another yes, story <laughs> that took me to Bangkok. 
investigating his death by autoerotic asphyxiation. All I can say, say about that was is that I believe that, uh, yes, he did enjoy tying himself up and, and, you know, maybe indulging in that particular fetish, but at the same time from what I could uh, gather during my uh, investigation, he had some help. Mm. Yeah. We're going to get killed if we don't cut this out of the show. Why? <laughs> I don't know. No. I always worry when I talk to you, I'm going to end up dead. Well, um, now, if we were in Bangkok, yeah, we'd hear, there would be a knock on the door. <laughs> Just like the knock on the door I got when I was packing my bags ready to leave. And uh, I opened the door and there's a uh, tabloid reporter from the Bangkok Post which is the, uh, it's an English language newspaper tabloid in, in Thailand, uh, who was trying, he goes, hey, I heard you were in town. And now I'm in a five-star hotel, the same hotel that uh, David Carradine expired in, and now I got a guy coming up to my door? You know, I was like, yeah. he the, the, well, he was a fan. <laughs> no, he was trying to sell me morgue photos of oh. David Carradine is what he was trying to do. And when you look at the ligature marks, um, you, you know, this, uh, I mean, I can go through how I figured out he had help if you'd like. He was found, <laughs> the, the, the law enforcement, the Bangkok police will tell you that he was, and he was, and they, there's a photograph of him, uh, kind of falling out of a closet with a, uh, a, a rope around his neck with a pulley system attached to his genitals so that if he put his hands upwards, he, he would uh, castrate himself. And if he pulled it the other way, he'd choke himself out. So he had a whole thing going on with, uh, you know, Boy Scout nut, knots and stuff like that. Um, but it showed him, it, it looked like he, uh, they tried to make it look like he hung himself in the closet. Have you met David Carradine? Oh, yeah. Well over six feet tall. Okay. The closet, I'm 5'6". I'm staying in the same hotel, and I walked into the um, into the closet, and 5'6 of me couldn't fit in there, yeah. let alone the where you hang your clothes, the bar, five-star hotel. It was a cheap aluminum. I could snap it with two fingers. So it also wouldn't sustain his weight to choke him out. So the whole closet thing was a ruse, in my opinion. Um, and... Uh, you know, like I said, the guy from the Bangkok Post shows up. He shows me the morgue photos, and that convinced me even more because he almost cut his fucking head off. I mean, that's how deep the the laceration on his throat went. So, you know, whether it was a ladyboy or, you know, whatever, you know, uh, all I know is, is that um, he wasn't alone that night. There's no way he could have been, and uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, Maxim Magazine, I don't know, many oh, years ago. You wrote it up for them? Yeah, The Last Days of David Carradine. Yeah. I see, it's already been published. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm sitting here going, oh, God. <laughs> We're all going to die. These visions of lawyers are dancing in his head. <laughs> yeah, lawyer, I, you know, bang tie hit teams coming to my house. Well, which brings us back to the top and yeah. Master Skip. 
Is that going to be your next movie, Josh? What's that? Master Skip that- and uh, the dead guy wrapped up in a uh, in cell, you know, in oh. Saran wrap in his dungeon in uh, Los Los Feliz. Yes, uh, I mean, probably not going to be your next about script, this story. Could, no. could be my next yeah. agent, though. I'm, <laughs> I'm not familiar with this story. Oh, you did This was just a week or two ago. Oh, it was so this. weird. I was, uh, you know, like I'm want you to do. This? I troll like atrocity websites, and I look at. Uh, <laughs> coroner's reports and i found this report you know the way people do well yeah, sure. <laughs> you know and i crime writers any good crime writer would be doing what i'm doing and uh so anyway i i found a report about this guy who was mummified in a a, a bdsm um uh master quote unquote dungeon in los Feliz. He had been wrapped up with air holes for his mouth and maybe something for his anus. I don't know what went on down there. But anyway, he suffocated. They found the knockout drug GHB in his system. And uh, I was like, this is weird. And yet, there's no reports on it. So I looked to find out whose house it was, who the master was. Turns out he was like senior VP of, uh, he is senior VP business affairs at the William Morris Endeavor Agency. I'm shocked. And (laughs) of course, you know, you did the comment call to William Morris and they're like, oh, master skip. Everybody knows him. Great guy. (laughs) And I'm like, but there's a dead guy in his dungeon. You know, I mean, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so anyway, that becomes a story for my podcast and yours. And I guess, I guess know, this is the Kenneth Anger episode. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's what I say. It's it's nice to know Hollywood is still capable of being weird. Kenneth Anger, you know, he's still around. He's oh, still yeah. kicking now. Kenneth, uh, I don't have too much direct experience with him, but when I was living in New York decades ago, I lived in an SRO on West. Uh, 70th street and riverside drive it was a little shoebox of a room that looked out over the hudson so i called it my like 60 dollar a week room with the million dollar view to make myself feel better but there was a guy he was all whips and chains and leather and you know motorcycle guy who would always hang out on the stoop of the riverside hotel and i got to know him a little bit and he would say to me Mark, if there's one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to kill Kenneth Anger. And I was like, well, all right then. <laughs> and he got in his cab and he would start his day at work. He drove a cab. Years later, you know, bringing together something else, you know, uh, I was with that screenwriter, Kate Lanier. And I told her that story. And she said, oh, my God, that guy picked me up in his cab in New York and said the same thing to me. <laughs> so now we're like uh, Lucifer Rising. Uh, we're, we're grabbing all his films from, and it's not there anymore. What was that place in Santa Monica? Video. Oh, Vidiots. Vidiots. Vidiots, yeah. Yeah, what a, uh, what a loss. But anyway, yeah. we got all his films, and sure enough, there was that guy. He really did exist. He was one of Kenneth Starr's. And uh, he was one of Kenneth's stars. Uh, yes. Uh, my apologies. Oral surgery. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little slurry here. I but... think every. I mean, it's like if you ever run to Bob Ricardo, he says the same thing about Joe Dante. It's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
And then you go back and he's in every one of his movies. It's insane. Uh, yeah, well, um, so yeah, Kenneth Anger episode. I'm glad I could be of service here. I, we and actually I, talked about him last week. So. Yeah, and I guess we could, you know, take it out with uh, 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 Ace in the Hole. Uh, oh, big, uh, big carnival. Quiet, uh, everybody! Listen to me! Listen! sinister mountain, a man is buried alive, trapped by a cave-in. And from every part of a shocked and anxious nation, the crowds stream to watch the desperate rescue crews fighting against time, battering their way to the barrier of solid rock, while far below, a daring reporter makes his way into the treacherous, crumbling tunnel that is the only lifeline between the helpless victim and the outside world. You'll be out of here by tomorrow morning. No, I won't. I'll never reach me by tomorrow morning. You'll be out of here in 12 hours. Hang on. Finally, what about journalism? Billy Wilde. Yeah, but it was like, I, you know, what is? how did it make me? I guess the only thing it makes me is, well, 1951, I can't say I love the film that much. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm, you know, shitting on Billy Wilder and Michael Douglas, you know, and everyone, anyone else involved. Kirk. Kirk. Kirk, uh, Kirk excuse me. Kirk Douglas. But, um... I, you know, I guess how it made me was it made me as, you know, I operate and I tend to operate in crime journalism and, you know, the PI stuff in that plug my podcast, The Gray Zone, is that um, we'll, we'll cut that. is that, you know, I can identify with the character. I can identify with the ego. I can identify with the drinking. I could identify with what made him end up from you know a, a good reporting job at a new york paper to some dusty town in new mexico demanding that they hire him based on you know his glory days at the new york paper and they do and then what he instigated it was uh, certainly monumental but at the same time it's like i guess what i learned was from my experiences that it is okay you know thank you hunter thompson thank you pg i don't know who else but it's okay to for a journalist to become part of the story but don't fuck with but people's not like lives yeah. you know what i mean and i know that sounds really simplistic but that's all i got <laughs> what when um when did you first see it how old were you were you a journalist at no the time, yeah i was a journalist you were okay. I, I probably saw it in the late 90s i'm okay, a, so yeah. as, after you had oh yeah, yeah it's not like you were 10 and you saw it and said i want to be him no no <laughs> I, I i wanted to be a journalist i grew up in providence rhode island we have a hospital trust bank and it, it's known as the superman building because it looks exactly like the building that the old black and white superman used to that fly city hall Right, so yeah, it, it was City Hall, but uh, L.A., right? Mm -hmm. But it looks like this building in Providence that still stands there today, an empty shell of its former self. But um, I, I, something about Clark Kent, man, I was just like, I, you know, I didn't really care about the guy in tights with the, you know, flying around, but I liked the idea that his alter ego was an ink man. And that was what inspired me to be, uh, and that's when I knew I would be a reporter one day. Yeah. Clark Kent. Wow. Yeah. 
don't know how to top that. Yeah, and I don't, you uh, know, I don't. Uh, otherwise, I don't, uh, you know, I'd appreciate hearing from you guys on Ace in the Hole. You know, not to put you on the spot, but no, you I, know, I, I always like Ace in the Hole. Yeah. It's got some great dialogue. You know, she yeah. doesn't go to church because kneeling bags are nylons. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's a it's a incredibly cynical movie. It is, but mm -hmm. I, I love those guys who would who would uh, be in a position to make pretty much anything you would think who would well, use that position to make a film that dark. That well, yeah, and, and you know, this was his, also around the Sunset Boulevard period, so he wasn't exactly That's, exuding yeah. light. Yeah. It was a dark, <laughs> dark period in his, his movies. Uh, but it's a you know it's a very well observed movie. It's very well produced. I mean, it's a it's a it cost some money to make that picture. And obviously they had a lot riding on it, which is why they changed the title and tried to reissue it and still didn't make mm. any money because it was a downer. I mean, let's yeah. face it. Mm -hmm. I mean, people were, it was a depressing movie about a depressing subject. Um, but it's, it's got a lot of power and, um, and supporting cast is really good. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not my favorite Billy Wilder movie, but it's probably nobody's favorite Billy Wilder movie, but it's, it's hard to love, but, but it's, 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 it's amazing. I, I, yeah. I love those movies that take you on a journey of, you love him. You're instantly tapped into him. His arrogance seems earned at the beginning and he takes you on this journey and you realize nothing about him has changed by the time he gets to the end. You're just slowly peeling the onion and realizing that you have, you have latched yourself on. But again, a really that's another case horse. where a different actor <laughs> yeah. may not have been able to do that yeah. because of, of the, the, the qualities that Kirk Douglas had that yeah. allowed him to play those kind of maniac parts. And still be you'd forgive compelling. a lot before yeah. you, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And and um, shock corridor. The motion picture screen opens the door to sights you've never seen before. Shock corridor. The medical jungle doctors don't talk about. A labyrinth of twisted detours that both sexes stumble along. I, I got it. I, I have to bring that up. Feel free. Sam Fuller I bring shot it up every week. <laughs> he, he does. <laughs> well, that one, that one really, um, I, I suppose how it made me, what it did, I don't know if it made me, but it certainly prepared me for going back to the top of the show, what you, uh, what you, the you quoted from my story, Do You Want to Buy a Bridge? The expose on Scientology for Spy Magazine. Mm -hmm. Well, the the parallel there after seeing what happened to who is the actor uh Peter breck breck yeah okay you know breck goes into uh uh you know a psych ward uh looking for a murder the tr trying to solve a murder that took place and what happens was he ultimately ends up undergoing shock therapy and losing his mind blah 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 and to me a very similar situation immersing myself in Scientology. Joe, I don't know if you know it or not, but when I did that story, I straight up joined Scientology. I didn't know anything about it except uh, there were a lot of people in sailor suits walking up and down this boulevard, you know, stealing valor from some galaxy. And I didn't know what the <laughs> hell was going on. So I had to find out. So I went in and I joined the cult and the coming out of that, I can tell you that I can warn you, do not ever underestimate the power of mind control. Now, shock corridor, you know, just amplify that times 12. And, you know, there's a parallel there. And I was girded for it. Thank you, Sam Fuller, because every day that I went through 
all the 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 mind control that they do on you under the idea that this is auditing this is counseling this is listening oh yeah you know scientology can help you with that you know what it does is it it, you know it twists you around so much and we're celebrating tom cruise this weekend that like tom cruise you don't know black from white and you know you believe everything they ever told you you know um and uh so anyway all i can remember was those days that i was in there much like beck Breck, Breck, yeah, Breck, Breck, in Peter Breck, I got to get his name right, in Shaw Corridor, being in the psych ward, was that every single day I left, you know, Scientology Campus or Scientology Central, the big blue building not far from here on Sunset Boulevard, not to give away the address or anything. Uh, oh, we tell at the end of the okay, show every week. But, um, Crossroads of the world. Yeah, you got to, really. But... Um, <laughs> You know, every day I remember I would get in my Toyota and I would drive into the desert and I would blast rap music and open my windows to kick that shit that they had put in my head out. Mm. So it was really taking a toll on me in a very short amount of time. Shock corridor. Shock corridor. Well, yeah. if you listen to pretty much any random episode of our show, you can hear Joe discuss his well, relationship with that I, film. Lo- I love shot quarter and i mean you know <laughs> how can, how can you quarrel with a movie that's got a line as good as what a tragedy an insane mute will win the pulitzer prize <laughs> <laughs> that's right he was after the pulitzer yeah, that's right. they made that right. clear you know, yeah. Sam didn't do anything by half measures. It was all the, it was, it was the, 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 the no shading. It's just the color. Yeah. You know? Yep. Love it. Was, was oh, he shit. an ink man at any point? Oh, yes. yeah, there we go. Oh, of course. Oh, there, that idea. makes Blood. all the sense in the world. You should see Park Row. I really should. You should. It's his movie yeah. about uh, uh, the New York uh, sun or something. And it, it, during the, the early uh, Steve Brody jumping off the bridge kind of period. It's, oh, he wrote. it's a fabulous movie. It's really cheap. He Mark made it with his own money. Uh, it's on DVD, and it's uh, it stars Gene Evans, who was in a lot of his pictures. And it's it's really it's a great movie. A bunch of movies. But I was surprised that you yeah. didn't bring up uh, Deadline USA. Uh, probably because I never saw. Wow, well, that's another, <laughs> one gotta, another one you got to see. You yeah. should see it. With Deadline it USA, will make you. Park Row. I'm sorry. No, no, but, no. I'm really Deadline USA really and and uh, yeah. and Park Row. You got to see. Fantastic. I will. Yeah. Well, Mark. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining. Are you kidding? This thank you. Had a blast. Yeah. Yeah. Our show is recorded in Hollywood, California, crossroads of the world. We are the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is Don Barrett, who also wrote, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Eisen. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.